0: Welcome to Built To Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity. This time it's episode 168, and we're going to talk about 10 places to hide things in your van, specifically important documents, like say your passport or maybe your cash. We're also going to talk about using your lithium battery to jumpstart a vehicle it's risky and not what it might appear and we're going to do a tale from the road involving some mysterious rock cairns cairns is such a fun word especially if you live in australia hello everyone welcome back hey i've been doing this experiment with this video podcast thing and I'm going to continue with it, but I'm going to make some changes because that's the nature of experimentation. And it has occurred to me that it's almost impossible to get decent sound quality the way I'm recording this (laughs) unless I sit at my desk and wear my headphones, which doesn't make for very good video. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, Actually, record the thing twice. I'm going to record the podcast as I have been all along, and then for the video portion of things, I'm going to re record it and I'm going to tailor it more towards the video audience. So I may hold up an object and say, You see this thing here? and I won't have to think about, well, the podcast people can't actually see that. So I'm going to have to say, Do you see this red, delicious apple I'm holding in my hand? It, I think it'll be a better product for everybody, and I hope. That will be the end of the weird sound problems I've been having. And, uh, oh, look, I'll, I'll, let you in on a little secret. If you watch last week's YouTube video, the, a place to visit segment is almost entirely B roll. Now, everything else has me talking into the camera, at least to some extent, but not that segment. And it's because when I got home and looked at the footage, there was this big black bug. <laughs> attached to my face for all the video that i took and because i'd already come home i couldn't reshoot it (laughs) so yeah i i think we're going to treat these things separately and uh, i think that'll be for the benefit of everyone Also, um, next week I'm going to be traveling all week, so I'm going to take a week off. So there's not going to be any podcast or video next week. And this week, because I'm super busy, the video is actually going to come out later. This is all an experiment. I'm trying to find a flow and a way to do this and to produce quality stuff on both ends of things. So I appreciate you guys taking a look, and I really appreciate your patience. So thank you. Okay, this week, I got a message from Liz way up in the frozen north of Canada. Actually, she where she lives, I believe, is south of Maine. <laughs> so it's not that frozen north up there. But she, as she often does, had a, a very interesting question, which was... Where's a good place in your van to keep your passport? Because unfortunately she had her vehicle broken into and they took her passport, which uh, is a big problem. You know, I mean, you would rather they take your cash than your passport in most cases. And so I spent a few days thinking about it. And well, I came up with a list of 10 places where you can hide something like a passport. Now, this is going to be a list of 10 things I'm not going to actually take you on a tour of my van and my hiding places. I'm just going to mention these things and hopefully it will trigger in you some ideas about where you can hide the things you would like to hide. So the first part of this, and this isn't number one, this is just the first part is think about two things before you start this process. The first is when you enter your van, become the thief. Become somebody who has found your van door open and is going to take whatever they can as quickly as they can. Because there's one rule of burglaries, they're almost always in a hurry. So what are they going to grab? Okay, there's your iPad sitting on the table. Gone. That's gone. It's the first thing they're going to grab. Oh, your, your wallet's there? That's, that's gone too. And oh, your Vicodin prescription? That's sitting in the top drawer? Yeah, those things are gone. Think about things like that. And then think about things they're not going to do. And that's where our list is coming from. The other thing, and this is really important and almost a separate issue. Imagine someone broke into your van and stole your most important stuff. What are you going to do about it? And now that you've imagined that, take steps to mitigate that. For example, have copies of your passport. Have digital copies as well as printed out copies, especially if you're traveling in another country. I never go to another country without three paper copies of my passport that I carry with me in some way at all times. Uh, If I lose my passport, now I have a copy of it. That's going to smooth things over. Plus, in the U.S., there's a thing called a passport card. I have that as well. And while it is not as powerful as an actual passport, if I take that to a consulate or an embassy, it's pretty easy to look me up and see who I am. So that's how I mitigate the loss of passport issue. What if you lose your wallet? What if somebody steals your wallet do you have a credit card hidden somewhere that'll help get you home do you have copies of id driver's license things like that and you know what if you lose your keys that's a pretty simple one there that we've talked about before so those two things out of the way let's get into the list number one look for something you can unscrew thieves generally aren't going to bring screwdrivers and they're typically not going to use them, so if you have a panel you can unscrew that has space to store things behind it, that's a great place to put stuff. It's really hard for me to imagine a thief thorough enough to start unscrewing panels. Now again, I'm not taking you a tour of all the places I can hide things in my van, but I do have a panel that I can unscrew that has a vent coming out of it. It looks just like a vent. You would never think to look back there. And yet, I've got a ton of space back there. I could hide all kinds of things. And uh, a side note, this will fool thieves. It will not fool border patrol. (laughs) If you're carrying contraband across borders, you're on your own because those guys know all these tricks. So, uh, yeah, I'm not giving you advice on that. Anything that unscrews can be used to hide important things. That is a good rule. Number two, if it's something you need to access a lot, you know, Put the stuff in a Ziploc bag under your floor mats. Thieves generally aren't going to remove floor mats. And this is really good for things you need to get at fairly quickly. If you can find an opaque Ziploc bag, like one of those Mylar bags, that's probably the best place to put it. Because as we know, floor mats get wet, water gets under there. You kind of want to put whatever it is in a Ziploc bag. And yeah, why make it more visible than it has to be? So one of those opaque bags is probably the best thing. Number three, and this is actually a better hiding place than you might think. Inside your owner's manual. Thieves are not going to go looking through your owner's manual. Now, if you have the kind of owner's manual that's in a zippered pouch, which a lot of people do, you can hide money, credit cards, any kind of papers in there. And generally, it's not going to matter. Now, It goes without saying that if they steal the whole vehicle, this isn't going to help for any of these tips, but especially this one. Uh, Another little tip here, one thing you should also hide is your registration, because if the vehicle gets pulled over, the police are going to ask for the registration, and if the driver can't find it, well, that raises suspicion, so your registration shouldn't be somewhere obvious like sitting in the glove box, but no, seriously... Thieves are generally not going to look inside your owner's manual. It's a normal thing to find in the vehicle, and it's not a normal place to find money or pieces of paper. Number four, if you're building out a van, well, you can put in a fake panel. It isn't that difficult to imagine, you know, something that would be a dead space. Instead of attaching the panel with screws, if you want to be able to get at it quickly, Attach it with magnets or Velcro or some other clever thing. That way, it just looks like a panel. No one would ever think it was a drawer or a door. And then you can easily open it and grab whatever you want. I mean, that's kind of an obvious one. But hey, uh, it's something to think about before you're done with your build. I know certain popular van life people have done this for years. And they travel exclusively in their van. So they've got, you know, a good amount of cash with them. Maybe it's in there. Maybe, just saying. A classic, very easy way to store things that will deter thieves is in any kind of feminine hygiene package. Nobody wants to look in those boxes. And if they do, well, you know, what's in those boxes sometimes has its own compartments that you can put stuff in. This is easy and it works better than you might think. I know folks who store their jewelry underneath all the tampons in a tampon box. I don't think thieves are going to look through there necessarily. Although with the cost of this stuff, hmm, that might be worth enough that they'd steal it. I don't know. And a similar vein, number six, if you're counting, they do sell fake cans, some of which even work. They call them can safes. And I'll have a link in the show notes so you can check them out. Usually it's like, shaving cream or something like that. And the bottom, though you can't see this, unscrews and you can put stuff in there. And then if somebody actually presses it, it will spray out some foam. So it looks completely convincing. The risk with these is though, you have to be careful because if somebody shakes it, they will hear that there's something in there other than shaving cream and the way you stop that is you put whatever you want in there in kind of a plastic bag that you can wad up and fill up all the space so it won't shake but you know that's a classic thing and you can get soup and shaving cream and deodorant and all kinds of different things and uh, you know if you've got a can that like a can of soda stick it in the fridge for more realism number seven i've noticed that a lot of porta potties composting toilets have extra space in them for example my porta potty in my van is a kori you know just a regular chemical toilet Uh, it splits into two pieces and there's space between the two pieces i could easily put my passport in there And I'd put it in a Ziploc bag, but uh, yeah, that would be a good place to hide it, and I don't think thieves are gonna look there. In composting toilets, there's often space underneath the bin that holds the solids, and you could hide something there. Again, this is not some place that the thieves are gonna look. Number eight, almost all vehicles have a headliner which is the thing that covers the ceiling. And it isn't that hard to remove a piece of molding and stick something under there. There's usually enough space up there. And uh, while it does tend to get hot up there, you have to think of that. You don't want to put anything with a lot of stickers on it or anything. You could put a Ziploc bag with a passport up there pretty easily and then just snap the piece of molding on. And again, thieves are not going to look there. And again, Border Patrol might. Number nine, another one that should be easy to access is under your water jugs. Depending on how your water system is, if you have jugs inside your van, well, they're heavy. They're not something thieves are likely to move as they rummage through your van. So in my van, again, not telling you where my hiding places are, but I have a big five gallon jug that I can remove as I need to, to fill it up. And uh, oh yeah, there's a ton of space under there. I could fit all kinds of things under there. And I seriously doubt a thief is going to take that out. And number 10, this one's a little risky and a little tricky. You're going to have to be very careful how you do this is under your hood. Think about it. If someone breaks into your van, they're looking for things in your van. Uh, they're not going to pop your hood and look for stuff. And depending on which vehicle you have, you might have enough space under your hood for something like an ammo can that is waterproof and is somewhat insulated and tough. And you might be able to find a place to put it under the hood where you can store some valuables. That way, if someone breaks inside your van, they're probably not going to bother looking under the hood. And it's pretty safe. Now, I can tell you, if you have a Sprinter van, an NCV3 Sprinter like mine... And you don't have the factory installed auxiliary battery well there's your spot (laughs) you could put it over there and if you're super clever you could actually put a battery box in that spot and use that because it's built to hold a battery so a battery box would be completely normal and even mechanics wouldn't notice that something was amiss there necessarily so that is 10 of maybe a thousand ideas for where to hide stuff in your van The key is to think like a thief and then do something that the thief wouldn't think of. That's your challenge. None of this is going to help you if they steal your entire van. And that's why we have the second important point, which is make plans for what to do if the worst happens. That's probably the best preparation you can do. Tech Talk. Using your lithium battery to jumpstart. Oh boy, I've talked about this before. And uh, while well, there's a basic difference between lead acid batteries that are used to start engines and lithium batteries, and even some of the deep cycle batteries that are used for RVs in how they're used and how they're designed. So if you think about it, the, the battery that is used to start the engine, you turn the key and it sends a whole lot of power at once to the engine and then it's discharged pretty dramatically pretty quickly whereas the battery in the back usually you know which a lot of people these days are using lithium is meant to give off a little bit of power for a long time and and they're capable of giving off a lot of power I mean that's one of the nice things about lithium is that you can actually give off a whole lot of power without damaging the battery but can you jump start from a lithium battery and the answer is you can, but I don't think it's a good idea. Lithium batteries can get damaged if you use them as starter batteries, and that's why you don't see lithium starter batteries. They're just not that common. One of the other reasons for that is that you can't charge while it's below freezing, which wouldn't be a good application for vehicle starter batteries. But you really don't want to start a vehicle with a lithium battery. If it's a super emergency, like your battery's dead and there's a forest fire coming, yeah, go ahead and do it. And it will work. You'll be able to start your vehicle. You may damage your battery. Now, there is a way to jumpstart a vehicle with a lithium battery without damaging the battery. And that involves time you can charge your vehicle battery your starter battery with a lithium battery provided that that battery is just discharged and not damaged in some way you can hook up your lithium battery to your starter battery and leave it for a bit and that should give it some charge. Ideally, you would use some kind of a charger that could manage the connection. Like let's say you just had a regular old battery charger. You could use it through an inverter and charge your starter battery. Or if you had a battery to battery charger, you could reverse it so that the lithium battery was charging the starter battery, but you have to wait. Those things will take time. So if you're on a two-week camping trip in BLM land and you notice your starter battery is dead, well, yeah, you could hook them up and wait four, six, eight hours, whatever, and that should get you going. Just remember to disconnect your lithium battery before you start it. Lithium batteries can be used to start, but to do it safely requires time and a bit of knowledge about how these things work. Product Review what is the best computer for van life? Well, there's only one answer, obviously, and the answer is, it's whatever fits you in your lifestyle. I mean, honestly, there is no one answer. Everyone uses different things. I see people use Macs, i see people use PCs, but I don't see that many people use Chromebooks, and I would like to give them a shout out. Now, I have an old Chromebook. Oh, it's probably seven years old now. And if there's one thing about Chromebooks I don't like, is that they basically have a five-year life expectancy. It's not that anything goes wrong with them. It's that Google turns them off after five years. And I don't mean literally. I mean, they stop updating things after five years. It's kind of a shady practice, in my opinion, but mm, that's how it is with these. That aside... If you are the kind of van life person that is not a content creator, isn't editing a lot of photos, but just wants a way to keep up on email and do some writing and pay some bills and and basically do the stuff that you would do on the web, a Chromebook can be a really good way to go. First off, they're inexpensive. You can get one for two or 300 bucks and you will get a full featured version of Chrome, the web browser that you can use to do anything you can do on Chrome. On top of that, everything you do is saved in your Google account. So going back to the main topic of this episode, if somebody steals your Chromebook, first off, you can lock it remotely so they can't do anything with it. And second, everything that's on that Chromebook is going to be up in the cloud. So you can download it to another Chromebook pretty quickly. Also they're lightweight. They have pretty good battery life, and they take a beating. I've, I've pretty much beaten the hell out of this Chromebook. Can you watch Netflix on it? Yeah, you absolutely can. You can do it on the website. And uh, most Chromebooks have touchscreens as well. Well, I guess not most, but many do. And on mine, anyway, yeah, I can flip the monitor around and use the keyboard as a stand, and I've got my own little, you know, Netflix thing. Now, Chromebooks do not excel at anything. They are not better in any way as far as quality of the screen or the sound or anything like that but they're adequate and they do the job and they're not terribly expensive and if you lose one it's not the end of the world and that's probably their best feature if my chromebook dies i'm like well, that's too bad and i'll move on my macbook pro on the other hand which costs significantly more money and it's what i use to make all my content that's precious if i lose that And yes, I have everything backed up into the cloud and stuff, but that's a significant financial outlay, and I would really rather not have that happen. So, if you're looking for a computer for van life, go ahead and give Chromebooks a look. It might just be the sweet spot for you. Tales from the road! So I went to a really prestigious college at one point. It was called Salem College in Salem, West Virginia. I was originally a Boy Scout major. Uh, Yes, that's right. I I literally would have had a degree in Boy Scouts. Well, actually, it was called Youth Agency Administration. It was a long time ago. (laughs) But one of the classes you had to take, I didn't have to, but I wanted to, was camping. It was a college course on camping. And I took the course and, uh, you know, the final... For this course, was to go camping for three days. (laughs) Now, the the guy who ran the course, he actually ran the Boy Scout program too, was named Sam Warner, and he is no longer with us. But he was a good guy, a really nice guy to know, a funny guy, and uh, dedicated to this idea of Boy Scout professionals, which I have a lot to say about, but will not do that on this episode. And he also owned a lot of acreage in West Virginia where the school was, and his thought was well why don't we use my acreage and when i talk about a lot of acreage i'm not talking about three or four or five i'm talking about hundreds and it was in the middle of nowhere it was as i recall somewhere near beckley west virginia but it was a 30 mile hike the entire weekend we hiked 30 miles i believe it was 15 in and 15 out and it wasn't on the same route we we ended up in a different place than we started and it was a great trip. We, we hiked up mountains and, um, I was in a lot better shape back then. Saw some interesting things like pickle trees and Cecropia moth larvae. And anyway, it was a good trip, but at the height of the trip, like when we got to where we were going to spend the night, there were these three massive pillars of rock, hand stacked overlooking a valley. They were kind of like on the top of a bluff. And it looked like some kind of ancient temple or I, I don't know. And, uh, and so, you know, this is on Sam's property. So we're like, Sam, what the heck is this? And he said, I don't know. It was here when I bought the property. So, you know, did we discover some lost gateway to Atlantis? Did alien, I mean, I don't know. I suppose all those things are possible. But having traveled as much as I've traveled and having seen piled rocks all over the world, uh, specifically in Coventry, Rhode Island, if you look up rock cairns in Coventry, Rhode Island, you'll see a very similar thing there. And also a very similar mystery. How did these rocks get like this? Who? Di- well, folks, uh, part of my experience of doing this camping trip was to form my opinion that if you have people in a place... And you have rocks in a place, people will stack the rocks. <laughs> it's something people do. We're kind of like, we must stack the rocks. And you see this now when you're hiking all over the world where people will be making these little tiny rock cairns as though to say, I was here in this beautiful place and I'm going to leave my mark. Well, first off, don't do that. People are really getting annoyed at folks who stack rocks in places because it is like ruining the experience for other people. Imagine you hike for eight hours to see this amazing vista and, oh, look, a rock cairn. It draws your attention away from the thing you're trying to see there. And now, as part of good hiking etiquette, it is pretty well established that you shouldn't do that now if you want to take a picture with your rock cairn or whatever okay fine build your rock cairn but then kick it over when you're done so it doesn't distract other people there are some places where you can go now and see like 20 and 30 piles of these rocks because everyone's doing it and then of course they have to compete like oh my rock cairns bigger or you know knock it off you're going out into nature to see nature stacked rocks isn't nature stacked rocks is people with rocks Another example of the stacked rock phenomenon is in New England, where there are all these rock walls. And people often ask, well, where did these rock walls come from? Who did all that work? Why did they do this? Well, there's many answers to that. But in New England specifically, most of them were built by farmers, landowners, and they tended to put the rock walls on the borders in the 1600s so even today you can look and find these stone walls and they will line up perfectly with the borders of a property or a parcel of the property but that's not why they did it (laughs) they weren't trying to mark the borders the walls themselves weren't the purpose the purpose was to get the rocks out of the field so they could plant crops. That's what they were doing. And so they had these massive rocks and they were like, well, what do we do with this? Well, let's put it over there. And one place they couldn't actually grow crops was on the borders. And so that's where the rocks went, and the rocks got stacked there. And later on, sure, that became a thing, and people started to build rock walls on their borders, but originally it was just to get the darn rocks out of the field. And New England, which is post-glacial, these rocks are deep in the earth and will come up as the years go by and the land freezes and thaws and freezes and thaws, the rocks will actually come up and pop up in the middle of the field. Uh, there's actually a term for it. It's called hard pan. That's what you call it when you find a stone in the middle of your field and you're a farmer. And so, yeah, you move it. And over the course of hundreds of years, these walls have been formed because people cannot tolerate rocks not being stacked. <laughs> it's has part of our human nature. We must stack rocks. And I'm asking you not to do it. However, if it is your own land, like on Sam's, and you want to build some kind of temple thing, well, yeah, go ahead and do it. And if you want to be mysterious, don't tell anyone that you did it. Then a whole bunch of college kids will find it years later and wonder about it when it was actually probably just done around a bonfire and a case of beer. A place to visit. So Portland, Oregon is famous for... stumps. (laughs) Well, at least it's called Stumptown. Uh, it, I mean, it was a big lumber capital, so there were lots of stumps there from people cutting down trees, and that's where Stumptown came from. But the other thing it's famous for, uh, among many things, is the Shanghai Tunnels. Now, were these tunnels to Shanghai, China? No. They were tunnels where people would be captured after they spent the night drinking in a bar and secreted away into these tunnels and then put on ships and impressed to work on the ships a practice known as shanghaiing, because apparently this was common in Shanghai, China. So in Portland, you can now go on tours that will take you to the Shanghai tunnels and tell you the story about how Portland had a big shipping industry, but they were having a really hard time finding people to work on the ships. So they would capture them and drag them through these tunnels and put them on the ships and make them work. But there's a problem with this story. Uh, it doesn't seem to be true. <laughs> I mean, you're sure, I'm sure it happened from time and time again, but the tunnels themselves, they're just there because people move stuff, and it was easier sometimes underground. We forget now what a big deal coal was in the United States 100 years ago or 150 years ago, and moving coal was a lot of work. Trucks would come by and dump tons of coal just to heat a single house. Now imagine a business that used even more coal. It was a lot of labor to move this coal. And so what was often done was it was dumped into a basement, filling up half the basement and then carted through tunnels around where it needed to be distributed to other buildings, even across streets or under streets. So old cities, not even that old really, um, often have tunnels underground. And those tunnels are associated with whatever mythology that place has. In Chicago, the tunnels we have underground are associated with Prohibition and Al Capone and all that kind of stuff, not Shanghai, even though Chicago was a port and probably had a labor shortage at some time, and we could have come up with the myth of Shanghai. <laughs> but we didn't, we came up with other myths and there was a tour of the tunnels here that started in a record shop, believe it or not, but that has the, the record shop's gone out of business. The tunnels have been filled and, uh, sadly, I don't know of any existing tours in Chicago, but there are still tours in Portland, Oregon, and I took one. And they told us the whole history. It was actually a very good tour, all this history of Portland. And they took us into the basement of a hotel, which was old and creepy. And there was all kinds of stuff down there, like old bed frames and a whole bunch of window weights. And sure enough, there was a tunnel and we got to the tunnel and it was walled up. And the tour guide told us that this is the tunnels they're talking about. And they were probably never used to Shanghai people. They were just used for utility purposes. And I was like, thank you for being honest. However, you're advertising this as a Shanghai tunnel tour. Um, Okay. I mean, I appreciate the honesty and it was an interesting tour. But uh, yeah, there there really aren't any Shanghai tunnels. And I wonder how else you could market this. (laughs) At any rate i do actually recommend you take the tour if it's anything like the one i took i can't be sure it was a few years ago but no going in that there really aren't any shanghai tunnels that kind of not a thing Resource recommendation, just really quick here. Some of us have a need for dump sites from time to time. If you have black tanks in your vehicle or you're using a chemical toilet or um, you have a whole lot of gray water you want to get rid of, whatever reason you're looking for a dump site, there are a lot of apps that will list dump sites and there are a lot of free dump sites, Uh, especially out West. You can find free dump sites at a lot of rest areas and a lot of sewage treatment plants and things like that. But wouldn't it be nice if there was a way to find them all in one place? And while there are apps like Campendium that list these, uh, that's a subscription app. There's actually a website that's pretty well done. It's called rvdumpsites.net and it's crowdsourced. So, you know, like iOverlander, you have to kind of do your due diligence and make sure that what's said there is actually true. But hey, if you're in a pinch and things are looking desperate and you need to empty your tanks, Just keep in the back of your mind that rvdumpsites.net will help you find a place and uh, it could come in handy when you really need it. So I will have a link in the show notes, but hey, it's rvdumpsites.net. How hard can that be? Well, folks, thank you very much for listening to episode 168. I absolutely appreciate you sticking with me here. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. If you would like to get a hold of me, I am Jeff at BuiltToGo.com. That's two Ts, not three. And I'm absolutely interested in everything you have to say about how we're trying to change things here. It's all done with you in mind, so I care about what's on your mind. And until next time, remember the words of Amelia Earhart, The most difficult thing is the decision to act. The rest is merely tenacity.